History of European Theatre podcast, and thanks for joining me on this journey through millennia of theatrical history. So once again, we have got to the 23rd of April, and we've got a good excuse to make a special point of celebrating Shakespeare and his work as we mark his birthday and his passing. As you probably know by now, this year, 2023, is also the 400th anniversary of the printing of the first folio edition of his collected plays, which is now regarded as one of the most important books in the history of printing, and something that was instrumental in creating the reputation that Shakespeare has now. One way in which that anniversary is being celebrated is with the release of a filmed version of Shakespeare Unbound, a one-man play about John Hemmings, the editor of the first folio, Shakespeare and how the first folio came into being, researched, written and performed by Colin David Rees. Colin spoke to me at the end of February about his play and the first folio, which you can still find on the podcast feed or on the website if you missed it. Colin has a lifetime experience of acting and studying Shakespeare, and we spoke at length about not only the first folio, but how Colin has come to see and understand Shakespeare from an actor's point of view. If you'd like to find out more about Colin and his work, and get access to that filmed version of Shakespeare Unbound, you can find all the details that you need at the website www.shakespeareunbound.com. And I've put a link to that in the show notes. When I spoke with Colin from his home in France over Zoom, I was keen to get his thoughts not just on Shakespeare the man, but on the world of theatre that he operated in. It's not surprising that our conversation was quite wide-ranging on theatrical and Shakespearean subjects, given that both Shakespeare's influence and Colin's research and experience reach far and wide. From the influence of Commedia dell'arte to Brecht, from Peter Schaeffer and Mozart to Gone with the Wind. It seems to me that this illustrates how Shakespeare, Shakespeare's study and the historiography of Shakespeare remain very vibrant subjects. But as you will hear, Colin is always keen to point out the impact of the plays in the theatre as plays to be performed and not just to be studied as literature and picked over on the page. My thanks once again to Colin for making time to speak to me. We started by discussing the plot sheets and cue sheets that were in common use in the Elizabethan theatre. These were sheets that contained the cues and entrances and exits for one actor's parts in the play. It seemed surprising to us that actors worked from these, rather than a full script of the play, so that they could see the totality of the piece. How could just seeing one set of entrances and exits and cues not be horribly confusing? I asked Colin if, as an experienced actor, he found the approach surprising. Oh, it blew me away. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I was standing there. Uh, if we go back to the moment when I went to Dulwich College to look at these, uh, where they have the, the these documents, I was standing there with uh, a cue script in one hand and a plot sheet in the other, and uh, having understood that they performed 150 plays a year and as uh, as a professional performer uh, everything screamed at me this is completely impossible this you know this simply cannot be done and then i had done some research into commedia dell'arte and while I was standing there, I had one of those St. Paul on the road to Damascus uh, epiphany moments. A shiver ran down my spine. And I said, of course, that's that's the only way, that's the 
only way it could have worked is by using the Commedia dell'arte techniques. Now, Commedia dell'arte is one of the oldest, uh, longest-running forms of theatre. I mean, it, ran, it was a form of theatre that lasted for about 400 years. And so by the time the mid to late 16th century came around, it was uh, incredibly, uh, it must have been, uh, incredibly codified and a huge amount of experience um, handed down from generation to generation. And so what this obviously tells me uh, is that there is much closer uh, relationship to early modern theatre, to Commedia dell'arte, than, than to modern theatrical techniques. Um, which, of course, blows out of the water all the intellectual um, thinking that goes on um, when it comes to talking about, and and in far too many cases in my mind, performing Shakespeare. Because that intellectualism, whilst those pieces, uh, whilst those plays, and especially the speeches, sometimes contain the most amazing um, philosophy, in fact, they would have been delivered on stage in much the same way as Commedia dell'arte performances were. And this also has an effect on, on how, how the audiences of the time viewed what they were watching on stage, because Richard Burbage was not being Hamlet. He was playing Hamlet, which implies a style of performance which is much more demonstrative rather than intellectual. I suppose in modern times, the closest we probably would get to it is Brecht and uh, what, you know, the theatre of alienation, uh, the, you know, not getting uh, the audience, well, it's sort of the opposite of Chekhov. Um, Strindberg, where, you know, you, um, if it's performed well, there is so much subtext and, uh, um, that you, you really get into almost completely believing that what you're seeing is a certain sort of reality, almost, almost in a filmic sense. Whereas the, you know, the players were, speaking directly to the audience um you know um and uh, they would hide behind a, a a tree and not be visible to the other uh characters where in fact they were probably they would have been just standing behind a pillar and the 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 willing suspension of disbelief goes very much further than we have become accustomed to in a post freudian intellectual view of uh of 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 theater yes there sounds like there there would be quite a lot in that that we may not like that much today given our taste for naturalism and realism i'm not so sure because i mean uh, when i think when we speak of horses that you see them so i am now going to say this is a horse okay I mean, if you take Peter Schaffer's Equus, for example, yeah, nobody believes that those are real horses. They are representational. 
and representational on on a scale as as well for a big theatre. It's it's interesting that you're talking about Shakespeare having come out of other traditions because we tend to think of him as being at right at the beginning of this huge thing that is early modern theatre. But also he is coming out of a long tradition of medieval theatre, an almost equally long, not quite as long one of Commedia dell'arte, you, you would say as well. And we, when we spoke before, um, we mentioned the interlude as a very specific thing as part of the development of what became uh, you know, public theatre, because I think that's where that's where we start to get this mix of the more intimate sort of performance that was done during a meal and uh, during, it's part of an interlude in in a in a banquet. But we get this this mixture of the public and the intimate and the the large scale and the small scale coming together in these early modern plays and in Shakespeare in particular. It seems to me, and and maybe that's part of the the genius is that he could merge all of these things into pieces that really spoke to his audience and somehow still managed to speak to us today. It's, yeah, it's not the same as, as pageants for uh, uh, as pageants because uh, that would have been something else. That would have been sort of hugely spectacular and. Uh, um, one of the uh, is sort of an analogy, but uh, I'm a great fan of Peter Schaffer, by the way. Um, is, uh, is, is there's a moment in uh, Amadeus when uh, Salieri, uh, when Mozart is going is going to be introduced to the presented to the emperor emperor for the first time, and uh, Salieri, of course, as the court composer, uh, composes a little march for accompanying Mozart's entry into the emperor's presence. Um, he plays that as Mozart comes in. I mean, if you see it in the film, I, mean, I worked I worked on the uh, stage play, but um, if, if the clip is available on, on YouTube on the film, uh, from the film. And so Salieri plays his little march. Mozart comes in and um, is presented to the, the emperor. And um, the emperor says, what did you think of Salieri's piece that he wrote for you? And uh, Mozart then sits down at the piano and plays the whole thing from memory and then says, now this bit doesn't really work, does it? You know, um, uh, How about if we change that to, to this? So he's played Salieri's piece from memory being the genius that he is and then proceeds to completely revamp it and turn it into something absolutely amazing to listen to um f murray abraham as uh, salieri is is brilliant in his reaction as an actor but um yeah but i i equate shakespeare to mozart because they both did something well they both changed what was the stand of form and were pioneers in the, in their own way and <laughs> they were probably i mean shakespeare was certainly a plagiarist i mean was, there is absolutely no doubt about that i mean every uh, all the academics and scholars and and everybody have uh, have identified um the source text for just about all of the plays with the possible exception of um um merry wives 
um, although there is some debate about that too. Shakespeare would take it, will actually use the, the line in the play, a young world could take a poor play and turn it into a great one in a matter of weeks, if not days. Um, and that's what he was. He was a playwright and he wrote plays. Um, where he got his uh, source material from, well, um, Peter Schaffer got uh, his source material for uh, Amadeus uh, from, um, I think it's Dostoevsky, wrote a similar play. Um, certainly one of the one of the Russian one of them Russian guys, <laughs> um, and uh, and adapted it and made it into a play that we all know. Is it better? Well, we would probably think so because it's uh, related to our culture. But none of that, uh, none of the, none of being steeped in the the past of your art or getting your source material from somewhere. Would take away from being from Shakespeare being an absolute genius, in your opinion? Absolutely not. Uh, to to me, Shakespeare is uh, one of those great artists, um, like Mozart, like Beethoven, like um, Leonardo da Vinci, um, uh, high up in the summit of their art. But the art is playwriting. It's not the philosophy it's not certainly not the literature god knows we have seen so many performances of shakespeare which are literature on stage um uh, where the entire theatricality has been sacrificed to literature yeah it's non-literature yeah and if shakespeare wanted to write literature he could have written books where he wrote poems I always wonder how how much he would be if if he hadn't written the plays, how much the sonnets would be known. I mean, the the two, um, Rape of Lucrece and the Venus and Adonis, are absolutely amazingly powerful mm -hmm. in and of themselves, um, and but they're incredibly theatrical. So, um, so they're, they're sort of poem plays, poet poem plays but uh, when it comes to the sonnets i often wonder how much of a poet shakespeare would have been would be considered as now because and this is obviously highly personal but um as a poet i much prefer john donne and spencer and and the uh, and other and and the poets of the time, I find that this may be sacrilege, and people some people might run screaming. And um, I mean, I find the, the sonnets uh, again. One has to look at it from uh, from the perspective of the time. The sonnet at that period was kind of the equivalent of the pop song of our time. Now, you know, I mean, you have pop folk singers like um, Bob Dylan, like Leonard Cohen, like Bruce Springsteen, who who, who write, I mean, their, their, their songs are poems and works of art. You then have some other um, pop singers whose um, work is perhaps of a less um, enduring validity. And I'm, I assume you'd agree that the the fact that Shakespeare was a man of the practical theatre, both in terms of being an actor and a proprietor of a theatre, 
absolutely feeds into all of the plays and makes them pieces to be performed. Well, yes. Why did Shakespeare write plays? Well, basically to make money. But uh, yes, I mean, he had a knack. I'm working on a, a theory, and I'm, I'm doing the, I'm trying to do the research. Is that actually quite early on in his career, probably very early on in his career, he discovered he had a knack for adaptation, and that is why his incredibly fast rise to to fame. Dare I say it? He wasn't actually creating anything. He was taking a play by Thomas Kidd, or he was taking a play by Marlowe, or um, or, or others, and um, adapting them and rewriting them and turning them into the most amazing pieces of work, like Mozart and Salieri. Um, this is why I I I, I, I like that uh, that analogy. There is extant a supposedly anonymous. Uh, interlude stroke play called the famous victories of henry v which was actually printed even before shakespeare was born and uh, this uh, has come down to us in in printed form and uh, the scholars and the experts have studied it and they found the great whole sections of the famous victories of henry v um, turn up in Henry IV and Henry V. Absolutely word for word. I mean, it was ju it's just simply lifted and sufficiently well, or I say word for word, I mean, you know, it's, it's been changed into, uh, it's been adapted as only Shakespeare can adapt uh, into into a play. But I mean, you know, there is, uh, there is absolutely no um, question that, this uh, interlude series of, of playlets, which is also a play um, called The Famous Victories of Henry V, anonymous, so certain scenes in um, Henry IV and Henry V, mostly Henry IV. Even working like that, though, um, if he was saving himself some time in the writing, he must have been a complete workaholic. I mean, writing and running a theatre and acting... <laughs> I, I, and producing I so much in those particular short years. I don't know how much he was actually running the theatre. Um, he was a shareholder, yes. But I think most of the sort of day-to-day -day management would have been done by, by John Hemmings. Like, like all good geniuses, he had a good team behind him. Well, yeah. I don't see him, actually, from, from everything everything I've le looked, everything I've read, everything I've studied. I don't see him, actually, as, as the leader of uh, the company. He was a member of the company. And the shareholders, Alexander Pope and uh, Gustin Phillips and, uh, and, and all the others, were equal shareholders. It was a, it was a cooperative. Um, he just happened to be the one providing the plays. But... We hold Arthur Miller in 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 revere in reverence um, because of the amazing plays he wrote, because we are so focused on the literary literary stroke authorship side of things, you know. And so you have great twentieth century playwrights like Harold Pinter, like Samuel Beckett, like Peter Schaffer, my personal favorite. Let me put it this way. Um, let's take the film Gone with the Wind. So the, so the book is famous. 
and we all and the book was sold in many copies and so on and then it was made into a film who wrote the screenplay uh don't know no nobody knows well actually i mean it's not nobody knows if you if you google deep enough you can find it and this man uh who wrote the screenplay for gone with the wind also had a couple of plays um, I, I have done the research and i found his name and i can't remember it now um but he also had a couple of plays produced on broadway but who gives a damn who wrote the screenplay for gone with the wind and one of the uh i mean no we don't talk about the uh um the deniers but one of the deniers uh, arguments is that nobody nobody paid any attention when shakespeare died in stratford well would anybody pay attention screenwriter for gone with the wind when he died actually i discovered he, he having made quite a lot of money um he retired to a farm in upstate new york and he died when he was uh um plowing a field and uh, his tractor fell over and and fell on him and he died under the tractor all 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 alone all alone in the middle of a field oh that's a grisly end sydney howard is the name you were we were looking for there and you're right you do have to go fairly deep into the article about gone with the wind to find him i do not believe for an instant that shakespeare believed his plays were immortal i think he was a jobbing playwright who was writing damn good plays which appealed to the public and got the panthers in and, and the chamberlain's men were extremely successful basically because they they had a repertoire of good plays did the public know who was writing those plays did the public actually care did queen elizabeth care well she i mean there is a an extent document where she commissions the uh the chamberlain's men for t two plays one is merry wives um because she was she she liked the character of falstaff so much and uh, the other is twelfth night that letter commissioning a play for the 6th of january is sometime around about the middle of december which means that he wrote Twelfth Night in a fortnight, which does kind of explain the ending because the ending is is pretty lumpy. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very deus ex machina, um, you know. <laughs> but if he wrote the damn thing in, in, in two weeks, then uh, one can forgive him that. And the beginning and the end are always the most difficult of any any work of art in fact um you know be it, be it a book or a be it a book or a play i mean it's always the beginning and the end which are the most difficult um the end even more so than the beginning because you could start with an idea and uh and have no idea where it's going which is kind of the best writing anyway uh, but um you you have to end it you have to find an end you have to create an end and if if you're under a two-week two to three week uh, deadline then uh, well yeah they almost certainly didn't have the reverence for the playwright that we often have today and they would have just continued to see him as a a jobbing playwright who was producing you know the play you went to see next week and then the following week or two after that there was another one 
Yeah, yeah. And and they were good players. They were great. You know, Carol King writes, uh, wrote a huge number of uh, very popular songs. Um, it wasn't until very late in her career that she actually started to sing them in public. Uh, but she was, I think she was into her 40s or 50s before she actually started singing herself. And anybody outside the business itself... Uh, anybody actually heard of her? I suppose it's related to this, you know, this absolute fascination that we have with Shakespeare and all the research that's been done, all the minutiae that we we pick over the life. That kind of is that um, accentuating more than we need to know about him, really. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? As long as the plays are good and we're still finding things that are new in them to talk about. Well, yeah, it, it leads to something which I I find which. I find rather frustrating because it does blind us to the fact that he was a genius playwright, period, and you know, and a good poet, um, uh, and and it becomes a sort of deification of the man. You know, how could this man have um, had all this knowledge? Well, quite frankly. He, he stole it and perhaps that just makes him more human at the end of the day well it, it also i mean for me it also makes his genius more individual because you know his genius is in the plays and, and this is something that i take issue with uh, scholars very very often is that they don't look at what is actually written they look at what's behind it and you know, and one of the things about um, one of the main genius for me uh, with Shakespeare is that, um, given that the performers were working, the players were working only from cue scripts, everything the player needs to know to create his character must be in his own lines. Now that, to create such incredibly deep, profound, human characters, given that restriction, that's genius. Mm -hmm. 